Hello, my lovely listeners. I'm Dr. Mary Barson. And I'm Dr. Lucy Burns. Welcome to this episode of Real Health and Weight Loss. Good morning, lovely listeners. It's Dr. Lucy here this morning on, well, as I'm recording this, it is cold and rainy outside, but I suspect by the time it goes to air, it'll be beautiful and sunny. Dr. Mary's still on mat leave, so we have a fabulous guest and we haven't covered this topic, so I'm super excited. I'm going to introduce you to a beautiful woman called Rowena Field, and she is an expert in chronic pain and an expert in treating chronic pain with a ketogenic diet to the point where she's had papers published. So we've got a fabulous chat coming ahead, so stick around, peeps. Rowena, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. (laughs) So we were having a little chat off air to begin with, and your background is in physio, you're a physio, and I was curious to find out how you came across low-carb or, or ketogenic diet. So I'd love for you to share with our listeners how you stumbled into it. Yeah, sure. I guess, you know, like anything, we all find these areas due to our own personal experience <laughs> often. So, you know, I was the typical chubby teenager that was always trying to go on some sort of diet to manage my weight and given you know, I was growing up in the 80s, that was all, you know, do lots of aerobics and eat low fat. And, you know, if you work really, really hard at doing that, you can sort of manage your weight, but it was always a struggle. And I guess maybe 10 or 15 years ago, it just came across my radar, this idea of, of low carbohydrate and ketogenic diets, and it just made logical sense to me. So I guess I fell down that rabbit hole of finding out all about them and that um, I found that it worked really well for me. It was a great way to manage my, my weight without you know, having to be really restrictive on calories or having to, you know, kill myself (laughs) doing aerobics. Um, Yeah, so I I became interested in it. And then um, I guess I started to take a bit more of a deeper dive into the the science that's, you know, sits behind it to find it, you know, understand that a little bit better as well. Yes, I love that. And I think so many, you know, health professionals do that. They stumble across it for their own, you know, curiosity and usually applying to their own needs and then go, oh, this oh, this works. <laughs> yeah, I might need to find out a little bit more. Mm. So I love that. And I love that not only have you found out a little bit more, you're actually now, you know, a leader in other people will be finding out a bit more from you, which is fantastic. So you found low-carb keto and then what happened? Um, well, I guess it was sort of happening at the same time as my other area of interest, which is chronic pain management. And again, exactly the same story. <laughs> we, I, because I had chronic pain, I, I had to do a little bit more research into trying to manage my own problem. And it was one of those things where, you know, I, I, I thought I knew it all about pain management, you know, being a physio, I learned it all at uni, obviously. And, you know, I'd been a, a, a clinician in private practice for probably 10 years or so by that point. And I ended up developing chronic back pain when I was when I was pregnant with my second child, which sort of came and went in between that and my third child. But by the time I was pregnant for the third time, I had this terrible back pain that I assumed would go away once I wasn't pregnant anymore. <laughs> but unfortunately, it didn't. It just hung around and got worse afterwards. And I went to see all the cool kids in physio land, all the people that were doing all the trendy courses to try and, you know, fix my back. And it just it didn't matter who I saw or what I tried. Nothing seemed to fix my back problem. And so I started to honestly believe that I was a bit of a unicorn and there was something different about my back. And I'd reflect back on all the clients that I had that I, you know, they'd come in and they'd tell me that their back pain was worse and I'd just look at them and say, oh, you know, in my head, I'm thinking, yeah, you just didn't do what I told you to do. Yes. 
<laughs> and then when I was in this, you know, put in that situation and I realised like all these things that I'm telling everybody to do, it doesn't work for me either. Like something is just not right here. Um, and so I, I went again down that rabbit hole a little bit trying to find out, well, what is it that I don't know and I don't understand about chronic pain? And I guess I was lucky in that one of the one of the gurus or the cool kids in the in the space at the moment was a guy that I went through uni with. So that just, you know, made me interested to find out what he was researching and what he was doing. And and I came to understand that, you know, pretty much most of what I learned at uni about chronic pain wasn't really what the latest research was saying and that it had a whole heap more to do with um, this whole idea of whether my whether my brain was perceiving that I was safe or was I not safe. And if I wasn't safe and what I'm doing, then protection was required and pain's the obvious thing to slap you up the side of the head and make you take notice and change what you're doing. And you know, we always assume with a chronic pain problem that it's something about the structure, it's the muscle or it's the joint or it's that thing that's that's driving the problem. Whereas with chronic pain, there's a whole lot more that's actually driving that problem. And I had no idea about any of that stuff. And I'd um, ended up in a, you know, a lovely neurosurgeon's office who had, you know, told me that the only way to fix my pain was to have, you know, two of my discs replaced. And I guess, again, luckily for me, I wasn't in a health fund <laughs> at the time. And so he said, go away, you know, spend a year until you're eligible for it and come back and we'll do it and it was in that sort of year that I started to you know take a little bit more interest in in the research behind it and trying to understand it for myself and I guess I, I never had <laughs> never had the surgery done and I instead changed tack and started to um, treat my chronic pain differently and learn differently about how I needed to manage that and eventually I you know, got to the point where I don't have any chronic pain now I even ran a half marathon <laughs> not that long ago or getting a bit long ago now but you know it just goes to show that you know even though we think that a structure might not look pretty on a, a CAT scan or it, it, we automatically assume that that's the thing that's the the problem um, when in my case it definitely wasn't my, my, I'm sure my MRI scan doesn't look any prettier than what it did the day the surgeon said to me well you need to you know have those two discs whipped out but yet I have no pain now so our understanding has really developed a long way now to you know realize that there's so much more that goes into pain management and and I guess, you know, to sort of join these two stories together, it was, you know, when I was looking at what's involved in chronic pain and we're trying to reduce inflammation and we're trying to find um, medications that will target inflammatory markers and those sorts of things. And that's where all the research was heading. And that's what, I, you know, I'd sit in conferences for chronic pain and they'd be talking about all these, you know, fancy inflammatory molecules. And we've got this drug or this other drug that's trying to target those things. And I'd be thinking, oh, hang on a minute. I, I remember listening to a, a lecture about a keto diet back over here that I was also interested in and they're saying that's that's a way that you can naturally modulate some of those inflammatory molecules like you guys should really be talk, talking to each other and so I started you know I guess looking a little bit harder to see okay well, where's all the evidence about doing dietary intervention for chronic pain and funnily enough there, there is not very much at all out there and there's virtually nothing about um, low carb or ketogenic diets for chronic pain so Hence, I fell into a PhD, <laughs> and and that's what I did my research topic on was looking at ketogenic diets for chronic pain management. Ah, oh, I just love that. I love it, and I think one of the things that you know that I'm taking from that is that medicine often uses like to look at one problem and then just extrapolate the solution as another problem. So it's looking at how to treat acute pain 
and we will treat that chronic pain the same because surely chronic, so for our lovely listeners, chronic just means ongoing, like it's chronicity related to time, doesn't mean severity, it's just about the duration of your pain and acute means happening at the moment. And so we were treating, yes, people with long-term pain in exactly the same way as acute pain. And it's the same really when we look at how to manage you know, people who are storing excess fat. The idea was that, well, they should just do the same as what you do to prevent obesity, which is, you know, diet and exercise. It's exactly the same. So again, it's the same thing. What you use to treat obesity is different to what you do to prevent it. But we didn't do that. We just extrapolated the same information. So yeah, I love that. So tell me then, so a PhD, that's quite an undertaking. (laughs) It's one of those things that seems like a good idea at the time when you're in the middle of it, you're tearing your hair out going, why did I do this? But no, honestly, it was great. I love doing it. And I think the thing is too, in this space, we are looking for for evidence, you know, because for a lot of the time you have an idea that an, a hypothesis, and I guess this is how research works, you have a hypothesis and you want to check that it works. And for a lot of particularly nutritional information, people will take their hypothesis and turn that into evidence without actually having any research to back it up. It just sounds like a good idea, so therefore, and then it just becomes sort of spread on and that's suddenly the truth. So can you tell us a bit about your research? Tell me, I'm so fascinated to know about it. (laughs) Yes, I guess when you're doing a PhD, you've got to build the story. So you might have this idea about what you want your sort of big, you know, cornerstone project to be, but you sort of have to do lots of little steps along the way to, I guess, build the evidence base to support why you're looking at the thing that you're looking at. And so so my starting point, I guess, in the PhD was to do a bit of a cross-sectional study of um, a whole stack of people with chronic pain and actually find out whether they thought their diet was important or not, whether they thought it had anything to do with their chronic pain. And I thought that was an interesting thing to look at because when you look at all the statistics from, so we've got a, a database called the EPOC database in Australia and New Zealand, which is all of the um, tertiary chronic pain um, institutions. They keep all their data about, you know, the, all the people that go through. And I think we've got, I can't remember, there's like I think it's like 30 odd thousand people a year go through these chronic pain programs and if you look at the cohort of people and how metabolically well they are they all have an average of three comorbidities so when we're talking about people with chronic pain they're all you know they're they're overweight or they're pre-diabetic or their blood pressure's up or there's some sort of metabolic thing going on generally speaking as well but yet we sort of ignore that whole metabolic side to chronic pain. All we do is looking at, you know, what medication are we going to give or what are we going to do for their their pain problem in their shoulder? We're not standing back and saying, oh, hang on a minute, this person's overweight. They, you know, I've got these, all these other things going on. And when we consider that, you know, we're a, a complex adaptive system, you can't just pull their shoulder pain out and put it in one bucket and put all their metabolic health in a different bucket. We're all one person that's this complex system that's all, you know, integrated in a way that you know we, we just don't even comprehend and so I guess that was the starting point to say okay well diet is actually important for that reason because they're all metabolically unwell and also because you know all these people were saying to me oh yeah my diet's fabulous but when we looked at it their diets really weren't very fabulous at all I think that and their average BMI was like 31 or something like that so you know there's lots of good reasons why just improving somebody's metabolic health it should have a good flow-on effect to pain management as well and it was and something that's really being even considered so that was sort of the the starting point 
And I guess, you know, my bias then going into this was saying, well, okay, the thing that I want to have a look at is a low carbohydrate or a ketogenic diet. So then you have to build, I guess, the evidence as to, well, you know, mechanistically, how is it plausible that this diet would actually affect pain outcomes because we're all very used to looking at dietary trials and the the thing that they're looking at is is weight loss but you know we weren't so interested in weight loss we we're interested in does this actually hurt, help the person's pain and so then we went back and we did a, a big huge systematic review where we pulled up all of the literature where somebody was put on a diet for a chronic pain outcome and so we found I think there's about 43 or 4 studies that have been done and we're specifically looking at only whole food diets so there's lots out there where people are just given a supplement or something like that. But we were actually looking at if we actually change their diet properly is, you know, what ones have we looked at that could potentially um, have pain outcomes. And so out of all of those, there was only one one low carbohydrate arm in all of that. But all the rest of them, there was a whole you know, smattering of different types of diets, everything from, you know, your vegan vegetarians to your Mediterraneans to your gluten-free, like there's a whole, whole heap of different things in there. And when we did a meta-analysis, which is just basically putting all of the, the research together, so we did like a mega study essentially and put it all together and trying to find out, you know, okay, out of all of those, which one's going to be the best for, for um, pain outcomes and basically what that showed was that they all work a little bit. Right, okay. <laughs> which <laughs> which is not really helpful when you're trying to <laughs> figure out which diet's the best. And so we sort of scratched our heads for a little while about that and thought, okay, well, what, what we're actually doing when we put somebody on a whole food diet is that we are by default improving the quality of their diet. We're pulling out the processed foods and we're getting them to cook a bit more from home and all those sorts of things. So what we took away from that was that, okay, your diet does do something. And obviously a diet that improves the quality is important in all of this. And so then we then moved on and I did two further scoping reviews to look at the ketogenic diet and look at mechanistically. So the first um, review was looking at all of the animal and preclinical research to try and come up with, okay, what mechanisms are involved in, in the diet and how would they be related to chronic pain? And there's a whole heap of things in there that are potentially ways that pain might be improved. They include, um, you know, helping to desensitize the nervous system. They help mitochondrial function. There's, there's all sorts of different you know possible or plausible ways that pain could be improved by putting them on a ketogenic diet based on like mouse model stuff so then we went on and looked at actual human trials that had used a ketogenic diet and again we found that there were lots of so we looked specifically as to whether there were improvements in neurological function or um inflammatory markers and both of those significantly improve in all of the the um, ketogenic trials and there was quite a lot of them I'm just trying to remember off the top of my head how many where are we there was I guess that's one of the um the things that often get said about ketogenic diets is well there's no there's no real evidence behind it but we found 846 clinical trials <laughs> 846. Oh my God. <laughs> and these were all low cut, so less than 130 grams of carbohydrate per day and lasted for longer than two weeks. So we're not just talking about the little, you know, little piddly trials, actual proper dietary changes. 
846 um, trials, 64 trials that had neurological outcomes and 83% showed an improvement and 63 trials with inflammatory biomarkers of which 71% showed reduced inflammation. So there is quite a lot of good supporting evidence out there as to why um, you know, a ketogenic diet might actually improve pain outcomes. And so doing all of that stuff that we've talked about, that was sort of setting the scene to say, okay, you know, there's good reasons. We're not just, you know, making up a diet for, <laughs> for the sake of it, which is what we found when we look back at the systematic review when we looked at all the ones that had been done. Basically, it was just researchers picking their favourite diet and doing it just for the heck of it because that's what they thought was the best diet, not because there was any real rationale behind that diet actually changing something to do with the nervous system or something about chronic pain. So we'd gone along and we'd established a really good reason as to physiologically why, um, you know, the nervous system should improve if you change the diet and then we went and did the clinical trial to show that so we just did a small pilot um, trial where we had about 24 people that went through and we we did this trial in a way to try and minimize you know the criticisms <laughs> around dietary trials so at first we did it as a as a randomized controlled trial but what we did was a three-week run-in for everybody to begin with so for the first three weeks everybody had to just remove the processed foods from the diet. So we cleaned up everybody's diet. We weren't trying to compare a ketogenic diet to a standard, you know, Australian diet. We had everybody at baseline, inverted commas, a good a good diet of, of yep. whole foods. Whole food. Um, and then at the three-week mark, we randomised them to either just continue doing that diet or to um, then reduce the carbohydrates down to less than 50 grams per day. And so the outcome of that was, was interesting in that both groups did get an improved, like a significant reduction in pain. And I think that's an important thing to point out because as much as I love the ketogenic diet, we, often you get patients that that's just not doable like that's just all too too hard to be thinking about you know all that sort of stuff and so if all we're doing is encouraging people to pull the processed foods out of their diet and eat whole real food then in all likelihood they will get some sort of pain benefit from doing that but when we look at the the ketogenic diet they got a bit greater pain um, improvement but they also had um, reduced inflammatory um, biomarkers on blood testing which the other group didn't had they also lost significant weight that the other group <laughs> didn't lose and they also had improvements on their depression and anxiety scores that the other group didn't have either so there's all these other added benefits around reducing the carbohydrate load that you know if you can sort of get people to buy in initially <laughs> with doing some dietary change and they sort of get a little bit you know start to feel a little bit better for doing that you can say okay well actually if we take this a little bit further and actually reduce your carbohydrates down there's a lot of reasons why that you you know you might get further benefits from doing that I love that and you know so Mary and I have this fancy word that I call pleiotrophic which means one intervention has multiple benefits and you know you've just described that exact thing so the first step real food and then the second step low carb and then by doing that, you will have multiple benefits, you know, apart from weight loss, but pain and mood. And it's so interesting, the mood thing, because again, it, ma- it makes sense, doesn't it? Our brain is just a giant piece of neurological tissue. And we know that all the original studies on, on the ketogenic diet were to look at a treatment for intractable epilepsy, which is a brain disorder. And so, yeah, it's just, it kind of makes sense, doesn't it? And yet for so many people, they're blinkered about that. And um, there's a particular doctor in the UK who I, I like his style and I like his, 
thoughts, but he has a book that I don't like called Food is Not Medicine. And and I, I kind of actually just completely disagree with that. Yeah, I think it's, you know, we totally underestimate how changing your nutrition and how your eating can affect your physiology, you know. And and really, it's quite amazing when you think about, it, as you're saying, like, you know, the ketogenic diet's been used for a long time for epilepsy. And, and it's just amazing that, you know, having ketones present in the system can modulate the excitability within the nervous system. But we, we often think about it in terms of epilepsy, uh, which is, I guess, a nervous system that's getting, you know, so excitable that, that, that we have a fit or a seizure. But the way that ketones seem to work is they tend to modulate it back into that sort of homeostatic level. Because at the actually at the moment, we're looking at getting um, a, a big wad of funding, hopefully, to do a, a clinical trial um, looking at using the ketogenic diet for narcolepsy which is sort of like the opposite <laughs> end of the spectrum so you've got a, a nervous system where where the excitability is getting depressed to the point where the person you know falls asleep obviously so there's something about ketones that just seem to bring it back into that goldilocks zone in the middle um, whether it be too high or too low it seems to bring it back in you know into a, an appropriate zone for a, you know a functional um, nervous system so that's quite amazing when you think that how you eat can modulate your brain activity to that that extent ah totally and i think for you know lots of us who you know i use the woodshed analogy which is how we're storing all our fat and once we lower the insulin levels and open your shed you have this beautiful source of ketones just that you've been lugging around with you for years it's so you know i think that's why sometimes you know people really love that the ketogenic aspect of a low carb diet is because they they genuinely feel better Hmm. I think the other th interesting thing too that came out of the research, you know, we, we talk about a lot about ketones because that's where we get the name ketogenic diet from. But ketones are only part of that story. You know, when we looked at the ketone levels of the people in the trial, they didn't get up that much. I think the average ketone level is only like 0.4 or 5 or something like that. It wasn't, you know, really big numbers. And and well, I guess we were expecting it to be a lot higher than that because we were really thinking, oh, it's the ketones that are doing all these magical, amazing things that they can do. But you've also got to think about the flip side of what else you're doing. You're also reducing your glucose load. So even though it might not specifically be the action of the ketones, there's all these other actions that occur just because you've got less glucose volatility. And so not only do you have less insulin, like you were talking about before, we're managing insulin. But the problem with having too much glucose in the system, as you would know, is that you know glucose is a bit of a naughty molecule and it likes to stick itself to proteins. And then those proteins don't work properly. And that not only occurs like in your hemoglobin that we're all used to talking about with diabetics, but it attaches itself to all the proteins in your tendons and your ligaments and all these sorts of things as well and so there's then a, a degradation of the quality of those tissues which is obviously important when we're thinking about chronic pain and the development of pain problems and those those um, glycated we, we call them ages advanced glycation end products they actually get into the cartilage and they trigger an enzyme which causes cartilage degeneration and so for so long we've thought about arthritis being a very much a wear and tear problem and it's just because you've got too much loading on the joint it's all that mechanical friction that's just wearing out the the cartilage 
Whereas now we're starting to see, well, hang on a minute, if we put people on, with arthritis on low-carbohydrate diets, their pain actually improves, but the, the prettiness of their scans or their x-rays possibly doesn't change much at all. And that's then starting to come back to this idea, well, this glucose that's you know floating around and doing things that it shouldn't be doing is actually triggering deterioration within the cartilage. So if you don't want your cartilages to wear out in your knees and everywhere else, well, don't have a diet that's making your sugar fluctuate all over the place. And and we're not teaching people that sort of thing. <laughs> no, not at all. And it's fascinating. I love the whole the advanced glycosylated end product discussions. Um, and we, we did do a podcast earlier on that, which I'll link in the show notes. But, you know, it also extrapolates that to skin and people are wondering why their skin, you know, is aging. And a lot of people think it's because they've been out in the sun and that does have an effect as does smoking. But so does this glucose degrade your collagen. So, you know, it's the same. It's exactly, again, another lovely pleiotrophic effect by just. So what I love is that these discussions are not about weight. Like, of course, you know, listeners, you know that Mary and I, you know, we, we talk to people about weight management and and often what we try and use weight, losing weight as, as the hook but the thing about living a low-carb lifestyle is that the weight almost becomes secondary because you improve your, you know, your pain levels, you improve your inflammatory load, you get to be able to move more easily. So you, therefore you can do more walking, which makes you feel better, which also helps your mood. And it just interrupts that whole cycle of chronic disease or the, or the effect of chronic disease. And I think that's one of the important things when we're thinking about using diet for pain management as well, and particularly with the type of clients that I work with that have all had chronic pain for a long period of time, you know, they come into us very much feeling like they're in the bottom of a big black hole at this point, you know, because they've seen every doctor, they've had every intervention done, they've tried every medication and nothing seems to work and nothing helps or makes them, them better. And they feel like they've got no control over any of this stuff. They've just jumped through all the hoops and nothing has helped. Whereas if you can give them something like a diet where there's an objective, thing that you can measure so you can measure whether you're actually producing ketones they can you know follow the, the dietary change and not only might they lose a little bit of weight start to feel a little less foggy start to improve and their pain improves we start to get a real good flow on effect from that and it's something that they can really take control over and feel like they're getting some you know some control back in their life again which is really lacking with with chronic pain i think Oh, absolutely. Hey, tell me, did you come across any studies that looking at exogenous ketones and their effect? There's lots and lots of that out there, but we were only looking at endogenous ketones. So that sort of all got screened to the side. But I think, you know, there's quite a lot of research in that area, obviously within patient populations where it's more difficult to implement a ketogenic diet. So if we're thinking about people with, you know, Parkinson's and Alzheimer's and all those sorts of ones that aren't really going to be able to necessarily comprehend or implement a ketogenic diet, then using exogenous ketones, I think, has a lot of scope for treatment options and down the track. So I think that'll be a really exciting space. And I'm really interested to see what would happen from a chronic pain perspective with that too, because it just may be another treatment treatment option. But that's a, that study certainly hasn't been done <laughs> at the moment. Yeah, yeah. No, mm. that'd be interesting. And again, I'm trying to sort of look at it thinking, well, if we're looking at most of these people having metabolic disease as perhaps one of the underpinning reasons they've developed chronic pain, then ideally we want to fix the metabolic problem 
And so sometimes taking exogenous ketones doesn't actually address that. You can't just take some bunch of ketones and then go and eat a pie and wonder why you, it's not working. I just find it so interesting that you, you know, there's, there's so many tools out there and used appropriately that can be beneficial, but they're usually not a replacement for just this bog standing, unexciting, but incredibly important advice of eat real food. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's not really rocket science, is it? <laughs> no, but I think for a lot of us, we've been conditioned to believe that it's hard, that it's hard to eat real food. It's much easier to eat processed food. And I mean, you know, I often say to people, well, of course you believe that because you've been marketed. That's been marketed to you for, you know. Your whole life. <laughs> your whole life. Yeah, yeah it might mm. be 40, 50 years you've been told that having processed food is a great option because it's convenient and, you know, you're too busy doing other important things. Whereas actually if you flip that and go, well, you're, you're actually eating real food has such enormous benefits across all of your bodily systems that that could be the number one priority because then you won't need to be going and wasting your time at, at the doctors getting, you know, scans for your sore knees. Mm. <laughs> So um, I think I was reading a, a quote somewhere that, you know, intensive care now saves you from intensive care later. Care later. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Rowena, do you have in your practice, do you talk to people about low carb lifestyles or how do you do it? Yeah, so I work in a in private practice with a psychologist and we run a pain management program. And so that sort of involves having several sort of education sessions with myself and several with the, the psychologist. And a lot of it is around like the, the neuroscience education that I sort of briefly mentioned a little bit before, but it also includes looking at lifestyle stuff as well. So I get a chance to launch into my, <laughs> my low carb, you know, <laughs> at the time. So, and, you know, most people I think, and, and probably I guess our clientele are a little bit different and by the time they got to us they've sort of you know they've run out of options pretty much and so they're prepared to try anything that I that I say um, but most of them are open to the idea of of doing a dietary invention and I sort of I approach it in sort of two steps a bit like how I did in my my PhD was okay let's just start by removing the the ultra processed food from the diet let's just let's just start there and we give them a few weeks of just doing that and if they're they're still walking with me at that point then we start to talk about you know the added benefits that could happen if we actually trialed a ketogenic diet and I sort of try and encourage them to you know if we're going to do this you can't sort of you know half-ass it you've got to really let's do it properly for six weeks so that you can actually tell how much this is going to change like your pain outcomes because if you do it for a day and then you have a day off and you do it for a couple of days and then you get a macas again like you're really not going to be able to tell so let's let's commit to doing this properly and let's see how we go and we'll measure like ketone levels and that sort of stuff with them as well so that they can sort of see how they're going and and I find that's quite a good um you know a, a feedback mechanism to help people understand whether they've actually reduced their carbohydrate level enough and we, that's what we did in our clinical trial was gave them one of the you know the finger prick testers where they could measure their glucose and their ketones because by definition if they're if they're not getting any ketones present well they're not you know <laughs> they haven't lowered their carbohydrates enough and so you know it's a nice way rather than having to count calories or carbs or any of that sort of stuff all we're doing is saying okay hey, yeah well you've got some ketones there you going okay how do you feel sort of thing um and so that's a, a nice way of helping people just wrap their head around what sort of things they need to you know reduce out of their their diet and and then go from there but we've had some really good results with people um doing the 
doing the diet in in the program and and certainly in the clinical trial as in any trial you you know you're going to get people that do the diet and don't do do the diet but the ones that actually did it properly in the trial were quite um there's some really quite remarkable results like i had we had one lady that had um, chronic plantar fasciitis in her foot for you know i think it was going on years at that point in time and then she'd had all the you know orthotics done and done everything had all the cortisone injections in it nothing had fixed it and within three weeks of doing the ketogenic diet she had zero pains that was from a seven out of ten down to zero and when we checked her three months down the track she was still zero out of ten pain so i think particularly with those inflammatory type things then there's a lot of benefit in doing doing keto there was another lady that had a, a back problem that she'd had for years and it was funny because when she got you know randomized into the the group that was having to do the ketogenic diet she said oh really and i just don't want to do <laughs> and i thought oh no here we go here's a dropout coming now so sort of you know could cajoled her along you know this will be okay i'll help you as much as possible sort of thing and then she came back a couple of weeks later crying she said if you had told me how much my pain would decrease just from two weeks of doing this why has nobody ever told me that changing my diet could affect my pain like this so, and they're the sort of ones when you know when that sort of happens to you think well you know even if it doesn't work for everybody the people that it does work with it really does change the quality of their life and it really improves their pain outcomes Ah, oh, God, what a wonderful story. And how satisfying for you as a practitioner to be able to see that change in that person's quality of life. Mm, it is. It makes it worthwhile. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Mary and I always say that. We've got, you know, sometimes I think like I've got the best job in the world because I can see, you know, I don't have a crystal ball, but I can see how their life is likely to end up if they don't change and the potential of, of where it could go. So I, I call it, you can go down to chronic disease hell if you like, or you can go over to healthy love nirvana. <laughs> That's right. You just got to get them to buy into it. And then, you know, and it's just once they start to get just a little bit of success, that then, then you get that roll-on effect, don't you? They can see that they're getting somewhere with it. And that's what we see with the pain stuff. You just need a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel, you know, a little bit of improvement, a little bit more movement, and then, you know, then they, they're sold then. <laughs> Absolutely. Mm. Well, I suspect we will have inspired some people today to give the low-carb and particularly the ketogenic diet a go um, because, you know, chronic pain, as we know, is very prevalent in our society and, lovely listeners, the benefits, or you've got nothing to lose, like you have nothing to lose except your pain, which would be awesome. (laughs) Rowena, darling, thank you. Thank you so much for your time today. That was a fantastic chat. And um, for any of uh, you people who might be coming to Low Carb Down Under, Rowena is coming, uh, as am I. And, uh, yeah, we would love to talk to anybody about pain, low carb, anything. I love it because you get to talk about your passion kind of and people are happy to listen to you. Yeah, that's right. It's not like your family that just glazes over when you start talking about it again. <laughs> I know. Oh, that's wonderful. All right, lovely listeners, I'll catch you next week. Bye for now. So my lovely listeners, that ends this episode of Real Health and Weight Loss. I'm Dr. Lucy Burns. And I'm Dr. Mary Barson. We're from Real Life Medicine. To contact us, please visit rlmedicine.com. And until next time, thanks thanks for for listening. listening. The information shared on the Real Health and Weight Loss podcast, including show notes and links, provides general information only. It is not a substitute, nor is it intended to provide individualized medical advice, diagnosis or treatment, nor can it be construed as such.
please consult your doctor for any medical concerns. <music>